This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. We're going to be Hosea 4, 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens And even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Thanks, Kristen. Okay, so let's talk about wounds for a minute this morning. When you have a wound and it needs healing, the process is a painful process, right? You got to dig down into the wound. You got to get it clean. You got to expose what's inside in order to find healing from that wound. And that's true of all kinds of wounds. It's true of physical wounds. It's also true of relational wounds. If you wrong somebody or they wrong you, to get that healed again, you got to go through that process of, you know, confronting and then maybe being confronted and, you know, talking about what went wrong and kind of exposing all of that to find real healing. And it's true of the spiritual woundedness we experience. The problem with spiritual woundedness is often or always those wounds are self-inflicted wounds. We sin and it hurts us. But if we're really going to find healing spiritually, we have to dig down inside that wound. And that can be the most painful of all because when you're exposed at that level, that deep, it is a painful process. But if you want to find healing, you have to walk through it. That's the journey we're on today. Now, listen, here's the glory. The more painful that process, the more relieving and joyful the healing is. And we're going to get to the healing. But first, you've got to walk through this. We're going to walk through this together by looking again at the book of Hosea. So I need to say a few things here because um, when I... Uh, decided to take the church through Hosea. It was, like I said last week, both a practical and a spiritual decision. So because I was asked by a Black Hawk Christian Academy, oh, is that right? Is it Academy? School. All right, sorry. It's really important, the words. Uh, Black Hawk Christian School asked me to come preach through, they, they asked me to do that. So I was like, okay, that's great. Uh, if I did both that and our church, then I, I don't get to prepare seven sermons, I got to prepare four, and that made a little sense to me. 
Uh, I was not fully aware of the movie that's coming out. Just so you know, I'm not doing this because the movie's coming out. It just kind of happened that way. And, uh, um, and there's a lot of like, like talk online about this movie, and it gets this kind of controversial. And you make your own decision between you and the Lord on, on that one. But I wanted to make it clear that this was, this was for our benefit and our spiritual need and our spiritual healing uh, that God had intended for us. And I'm telling you, man, as I've walked through this book myself the last couple of weeks, it's been painful, and it's been glorious, but it's been painful. Even this week, I had to confess some things and weep and mourn quite a bit about my own sinfulness. And that's heavy, and that's hard, but, uh, but hey, look, next week I get to preach about the incredible love that God has for us, so I'm looking forward to that one. But uh, we got to walk through this first. What I want to do is, as we walk through this today, I want to build the big idea. I normally kind of come out of the gate with the big idea, kind of show you where I'm going. This week, we're going to kind of build it as we go along. So let's do this together. And here's the first phrase of the big idea I want you to write down. And that's this heinous sins. Heinous sins. Heinous. That's not a word we use a whole lot. What do you mean by heinous? Well, the text kind of shows you. When you look at the language of the text, you're going to see just how heinous these sins are. Let's consider the language. We got a glimpse of this last week, but I want to remind you. So kind of to, to just kind of recap a little bit, uh, Hosea is a story of Hosea the prophet, and God tells him really clearly in verse number 2. Take a look at Hosea 1-2 where he says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. So uh, I read some article this week that said, well, we weren't sure that Hosea... Uh, that that she was a prostitute when no she was a prostitute when she when he married her because the text just said she was a prostitute when he found her so yes that that happened and he goes out and finds this prostitute and the rest of the story really goes through chapters one two and three where he loves her but she keeps running after other lovers and he loves her and she comes running after well did he love her did he love her yeah he loved her because Hosea three one God says go and love a woman as I have loved Israel and so he for sure loved her. And because God, that's the whole point, is the picture of God's love for us. But that's, that's, that's the picture. Is it a love story? Yeah, it's a love story. But it's not that we love him back. It's that he still loves us. And this beautiful picture goes around and around. But how Hebrew uh, authors often write, they write cyclically. And you see that happening in this text. So he talks about their sin and then God's punishment and then God's grace. And he comes back to their sin and about God's punishment and about God's grace. And it kind of goes in cycles. And so we're going to do, when we address the sin part of it, we're going to look at uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4. We're going to keep going back and forth between these two because these are two of the sections that really address and lean in to Israel's sin. And as we saw last week, therefore our sin. So, so here are some of the phrases and words you see coming out of chapter one and two, and just, just look at chapter two together, and we'll read some of these verses. Starting in verse number two, it says this, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her uh, in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother played the whore. She conceived them, uh, she who conceived them acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my 
lovers who give me the flax and the bread and the water and the wool. I'm sorry, my flax and my oil and my drink. Verse number six, therefore I will hedge her up with thorns that I may build a wall. It goes on, but there's, it, it, the words here are just graphic words and hard words. Words that paint a very disgusting picture. These are not phrases that we like to look at and think about and see. Especially when it's talking about us. But it's the words that are used in the text and it's harsh language. And I think God, God does that for a reason. Now, it's not just here. It is here. We see it. But, but you know, God uses this kind of language in several places in the Bible, even in the New Testament. This is from James chapter 4, verse number 4, where God said to his people, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to make himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Whoring. Adultery. Is that how we talk about our sin? So think about, you know, small group, mutual ministry time, where you meet with your accountability partner and you're talking, and you're going to say things like this, well, I kind of stumbled this week. I slipped a little bit this week. Man, I got a little tired this week, and, and it wasn't as strong as I should have been. Am I right? I struggled. Well, up to a point you did. Then you stopped struggling and you gave in. Right? We downplay it. We downplay it. And we make it lighter and easier than what it really is. Because God calls it not struggling, not just, you know, could have been stronger. God says, no, it's whoredom and it's adultery. Listen, our our problem is, like I said last week, we think about sinning as if we're sinning against a law, a cold, distant, non-person law. We see it in the black and white, and so that's kind of how we see it. God sees it not as a cold, hard law, but God sees it as relational. And God loves you. I'll put it this way. God takes your sin very personally. When was the last time you came to your accountability time in mutual ministry or your guys and you said, guys, I committed adultery against God this week. That's what I did. I didn't just get a little frustrated with my wife and say things I shouldn't have said. I let my anger treat her in a non-loving way because I love something else more than I love my God. God uses language to shock us out of our tendency to downplay. So we see the language. And that makes our sin heinous. But if you would flip over to chapter 4, I also want you to see this. There's the language, there's the list. And what I mean by the list is the actually in chapter 4, you know, in case you're wondering, okay, what are you talking about? What sins are you talking about? Well, he goes into detail in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And look at this with me if you would. Hear the word of the Lord, Hosea 4, 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Now, check this out. For there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, there's no knowledge of God in the land. But there is, so there should be that. There should be faithfulness. There should be steadfast love for God. You know, there should be a knowledge of God that drives all of that. But that's not there. 
But what is there in its place is, look at the list, swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, breaking all bounds, bloodshed follows bloodshed. That is there. Now, to help us understand this a little bit more, I want to talk about sin in this way. Uh, you've probably heard this if you've read any books on theology, but uh, sins of commission and sins of omission. You familiar with these terms? Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are the sins that we commit. So when we do something or say something or even think something that God forbids, we're committing a sin. And that's typically the way we think about sins of our sins, the sins of commission. But there's also sins of omission. And sins of omission are when we fail to do something that God clearly commands. And the text has both. The sins of commission are easy to see. This is the, I'll show you up here on the, on the screen. This is the swearing, the lying, the murder, the stealing, committing adultery, breaking all bounds. It says their bloodshed. Probably not a shocking list to you. Like, oh, I didn't, would never think you'd put that there. It's Probably the same thing you would list if I were to say, list out common sins. You'd probably grab these. Now, by the way, swearing might be a little confusing to you because if you've grown up in a good Christian home, your mama has told you, don't swear. No swearing in my house. We don't do the swears here. You probably heard that from your mom growing up. And, that, of course, that's, you know, wordy dirds, as my dad would call them. Boy, I quit using those wordy dirds. Uh, he was talking to my brother, by the way, never to me. <clears throat> Uh, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about foul language. We can probably look at other passages to get a hint at how we should handle that. But this is talking about like when, like when they're trying to give their word on something, and they'll say, I swear, I swear it. I make an oath. I swear by my mother's grave. And this is going to be, that's what it was. Now, that was a big problem to God. Why? Because, because God was a God of covenant, and God was a God of oath. And his people had already made a covenant with him. And if that was real and good enough, then shouldn't you be an honest people that you wouldn't need to come around and say, oh yeah, well, I swear on my mother's grave. Well, if you were really God's people, you wouldn't need to do that because you've already made a oath to God. You get the idea? And so his people were making oaths and he says, don't do that, don't swear. But the rest of this is pretty common, lying. Hey, have you ever lied? Well, murder? You ever kill anybody? We can all say, Woo, no, we're good there. Until Jesus comes along, and what did he say? If you are angry at your brother, you have committed, church. Are you sure about that? You didn't seem quite sure. You have committed. Okay, all right. Stealing. You probably do that more than we're aware of. Committing adultery, haven't done that yet. Well, then Jesus comes along and he says, if you look at someone with lustful intents, you have committed church adultery. So, yeah, we guilty. I'm guilty. Own it with me. Say, I'm guilty. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're guilty. Hey, I didn't say, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a prostitute. So you're welcome on that one. So you're, thank you. I saved that one. Uh, sins of commission. But then they come from a place. And so look at the verse above, okay? So, so these, these come after these sins. Where it says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love. There is no knowledge of God. 
No faithfulness. Faithfulness is that, what you would think, commitment, being there for the long haul. It's based on that word faith. So I trust you enough to be committed to you for the long haul. I'm in this with you because I trust you. They didn't trust their God. And so they left their God. They weren't faithful to their God. They, they didn't love their God. Steadfast love. It's that word said in the Hebrew. It's that, that committed love. And no matter what kind of love, the beautiful love you see Hosea showing to Gomer. That's the idea behind this beautiful love. And God said, you didn't have that kind of love for me. I think both those things are because of this last one. There is no knowledge of God. You haven't learned. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. because the sins of omission are there, the sins of commission follow, and it's true for them, it's true for us. Do we know our God? Do we know our God? And if we knew our God, wouldn't we be faithful to him and wouldn't we love him? And wouldn't that keep us from the swearing, the lying, the murder, the stealing, the adultery, the breaking of all bounds, the bloodshed? So I just have to ask, listen, how did you fail in your trusting of God this week? Do you really trust him? How did you fail in your loving of God this week? Do you really love him? And then of course it begs the question, do you really know him? Because listen, if you don't trust him and you don't love him, then I'm telling you, you don't know him. Because once you know him, he is a God that can be both trusted and loved. Church, how did you downplay your sin this week? Instead of just saying, no, I really messed up. I committed adultery to my God. How did you downplay it? I struggled a bit. Heinous sins, heinous sins. And they come from someplace. I want you to see this, heinous sins. The next part of our big idea, come from heart desires, come from heart desires. Heinous sins come from heart desires. We're going to see that. uh, I want your eyes to fall on uh, 2 in verse number, I got it covered from my notes. Let me find it here. 2 4, I believe. 2 5. 2 5. Take a look at 2 5. This is really interesting in the text. All right. So, um, sins come from someplace. I say it often around here. So, you, you've heard me say this before. The sins come from someplace. The, the, uh, what we say here is this. We do what we do because we want what we want. I want you to read that with me. We do what we do because we want what we want. You have heart desires. Okay, You want some stuff. And when you want it, you will. if you want it bad enough, you will disobey God to get it. Or you will disobey God when you don't get it. Okay, that's kind of the idea here. But, but, but I want you to see the source of this. And the, and the Bible is clear about the source of this. So Luke six forty five, Jesus says this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Can you read this last part of the sentence with me? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You see that? Okay, so we say the things that are in our heart. Eventually we'll speak those out. What's interesting in the text in Hosea 2.5 is Gomer is going to speak. She's going to talk. And as she speaks, man, we're going to be able to see the heart desires that are really driving Gomer to sin. Take a look at 2.5. Check this out with me now. For their mother has played the whore. 
she who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, now check this out, here's her, here's her phrase. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. I will go after, I have a desire. A heart desire is driving me. But what is that heart desire? The text is clear. And let's just break this apart phrase by phrase. It says, I will go after my lovers. These men love me. They adore me. They praise me. Well, for a season they do. And all of that was filling up in her, her desire for significance. Her lovers loved her and adored her and it felt so good. The text was on to say, who give me my bread and my water. They take care of me. They make sure I'm okay. They feed me. They water me. They, They take care of me and I'm safe with them. Well, not really. It may feel like that for a season, but that's fulfilling the desire for security. I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the text. It's interesting because she goes on to say, my wool and my flax. How many of you guys have a, a blanket with that the wool on one side of it? Maybe, you know, it's wool or it's got that synthetic wool probably is what it really is. And uh, I, was, I, I got up early this morning, looked over my notes. And I kind of went back to sleep another half hour and I wrapped one of those wool Eddie Bauer yummy blankets. And it was so, mm, so comforting. You know, you know aren't, they, aren't they just comfortable? Don't you love the comfort that they give? And, and flax is more than likely the flax seed made into linens. And she, she, she loves to be wrapped and so soft, warm, yeah, the desire for comfort. She ends by saying her oil and her drink, they would use oil for all kinds of things, for like healing. Y'all put hand lotion on this morning? I did. My hands were all dry, and boy, it felt good to get that hand lotion on. Or, or sometimes, you know, oil can be used like for seasoning and to add flavor, make something more delicious. And probably that's the idea here because it's, it's coupled with drink, my oil and my drink. And she's not talking about milk. I all of that, the desire for pleasure. Isn't it interesting how just in the word of God, this one phrase, you see all four key heart desires that are lined up right here. I love it when God's word just collaborates and, and shows itself out. But all these four heart desires seen right there. She wanted these things. She wanted these things. And when she begins to want them so much, that she leaves Hosea to find them as I dis- leaning toward idolatry. Now, where should she have found those things? Well, look at verse 8, because this is incredible. This is mind-blowing. We're just taking apart this text. I love studying the Word of God. And here's Hosea 2a. Check this out. And this is Hosea speaking now. And uh, listen, church. Hosea says this, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. He was providing all of that. Now we get in this story, we're all Gomer, and Hosea is representing who? God. And God gives us all we need. God gives us the significance we need, the security we need, the comfort we need, the pleasure we need. It's found in God. Is there pleasure found in God? Yes. We think about all of these things. I want significance. Yeah, well, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He picked you. 
And you're in him. You're his child. You're a child of Jesus. That should be identity and significance enough. Does God give us security? Oh, man. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. Your heavenly father knows you need all of these things. I mean, he's taking care of the birds. He's taking care of the grass. He's going to take care of you. He didn't spare his own son, Romans 8 tells us, but gave, us, gave him up for us all. How, how will he not graciously give us all things? And he loves us and will provide everything you need. Can we find comfort in God? Well, 2 Corinthians 1 identifies him as the God of all comfort. Pleasure at his right hand. Psalm, one, or Psalm 19 verse 11 says, our pleasures forevermore. At his right hand, there's pleasures forever. Jesus said in John 15 11 that with him there is the fullness of joy. And, and if to you, you don't find your significance in God and God alone, then you don't know him enough. And if to you, you doubt that he keeps you secure, then you don't know him like you should know him. And if he doesn't bring you comfort, if he doesn't bring you pleasure, do you really know him? Heart desires drive. I just got to ask you, church, what do you desire? What, what, what typically do you run after in this list? Like, what are your things that you go for? I mean, we're all a little bit of all of them. Just say, I'm all of them. Come on, say it. I'm all of them. We are to some degree, but some are higher than others. I've been very public about my fighting for significance. I got to find that in God regularly. I love my comfort. I love my pleasure. I got to be sure I'm going to God for those things continually. Because if I, if I don't go to God, it leads someplace else. And here's where it leads. We're going to write the next phrase of our sentence. Heinous sins come from heart desires that lead to idolatry. That lead to idolatry. The text says it. I want you to take a look at chapter 4, verse number 12 for a second. 12, 4. Sorry, 4, 12. 4, 12. 4, verse number 12. Check, check this out. This is funny. My people inquire of a piece of wood. And their walking stick gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray. And they've left their God to play the whore with what? A walking stick. A piece of wood. Without a doubt, he's talking about idolatry, right? And, you know, because they would take wood, they'd carve idols, they would carve, you know, out a, a, a goat or they would carve a whatever the case may be. And they would worship it and they would, they would seek wisdom from their idols. Hey, idol. Hey, hey, piece of wood. Here, hey, walking stick. I need some advice and some help, walking stick. I, I, I'm about to buy a security system for my house to keep my family safe and secure. What do you think I should buy? Hey, I need, I need to feel like I'm okay and I've got this promotion in my job that, that I could take. But, but do, you, do you, walking stick, think it's a good idea? I mean, it's just stupid. Say, that's stupid. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's stupid. Okay, all right, all right. We have different idols. Hey, job, I need some significance. I don't feel good about myself. 
and I want to feel better about who I am. And, and, and I need just some affirmation. I need people to think I'm awesome. I need people to look highly. I need my significance. Job, would you give me that significance, please, oh, Job? Oh, Job, I need security. I got to be sure I'm okay. Would you take care of me, oh, Job? I'm not finding my security in God, and I need it someplace else. So I'm going to look to you to be that source of security. That's not my issue. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Oh, bank account. Dear bank account, when you are full, I am full. (laughs) When you got a lot, baby, I got a lot. But when you're low, even though God has said, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, I worry and I fear. And I want this so much. I want you, oh, bank account, oh, money so much. I'm going to you to find it. I, I could have done a few more. I could have done my spouse. Baby, I need you to worship me. I need you to think I'm an awesome husband and an awesome father and that I rock at what I do. I need it so much because I don't really believe that God has that in me and I'm going to look to you. Or I need you to keep me safe. I need you to keep me secure. And I'm asking you to do that and putting all the weight on you to make sure that happens. I could have had my kids. I never did what I wanted to do, but I'm going to do them through you. You're going to be my hope. You're going to be my joy. You get the idea? We can go on and on. John Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories. How about this one? All I'm going to say is I got this from Ann Elder. I'm not saying who. (laughs) Oh, it's fun. Uh, I feel bad. And I don't want to feel bad anymore. So guess where where I'm going to go to feel better? And I feel really, really bad. So I'm going to need a lot of you, old wine bottle. Even though... God's word has said, do not be drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but be filled with, do you know what? Be filled with a spirit. This shouldn't fill us up. It should be the Holy Spirit where we go to find what we need. But we go to other things and they become idols. And they're just as stupid as praying to and asking for security from a piece of wood. Where do you go to find comfort, pleasure, security, significance other than God? You want those things and you find them in the wrong place. That's your idol. Now, I'm up here preaching pretty hard at you, right? This text preached to me as I studied it this week. This text warned me. As I looked at it, so I want you to see this. There's a pathway to idolatry. So we see the foolishness of idolatry. We also see the pathway to idolatry. And to see that, now we're down here in verse number 12 of um, 4, chapter 4. But you need to go back to verse number 4 of 4. And, and watch this. This is incredible. This is uh, Hosea 4.4. 4. Let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention. What does it say there, church? O priest, you shall stumble by day. The prophet, the prophet 
also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. I called my mother after I read that, by the way. Anyway, verse number six. I really didn't, but I probably should have. But verse number six. My people are, and watch this now, and underline this in your text. Check this out. My people are destroyed for what? For lack of knowledge. Why, why, why? Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Listen to me, church. This is the biggest problem in the church in America today. This is it. The pastors have stopped preaching the word of God. And because the people have not been taught, they have forgotten their God and they've gone after other lovers. And I'm standing in front of a group of people who have been have come to us, and I love that you've come to us, but I fully recognize some of the training and the teaching may not have been in your life. But here's what I'm committing to you today. We will be a church that preaches the word of God. So just, just follow through. Why do the people look to an idol? Just some questions and some answers. Why do the people look to an idol to give them security and comfort and pleasure and significance? Why? Because they don't believe they can find it in their God. And why do they doubt God? Well, because they lack knowledge. They don't know who God is. And why do they lack knowledge? Because their spiritual leaders failed to teach them. Now, God's word says this really clearly. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Are right, you get that? It's like, it's like a really serious charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Well, who is he? He's going to judge the living and the dead, okay? So I'm giving you a massive, huge charge here. Here's what it says in, in verse number two. Preach the word. Say it with me, please. Preach the word. It goes on to say this. Be ready in season and out of season. Watch the words. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And verse number three is going to sound really familiar. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, Timothy, Paul says, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist who simply proclaims the good news. Fulfill your ministry. God willing, that's what you'll always get here at Redemption Bible Church. Because we believe that this is God's word to us. Now, we have to be careful. Because we can easily say, we're nailing it here at Redemption Bible Church. (sighs) We're Redemption Bible Church. We rock. We're amazing. We're incredible. And a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a pride thing. A good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a pride thing. Because there is one more question we can ask, and this is the warning that we need, that Jamie Hart needs. Why did the spiritual leaders Fail them. Why did they do it? Well, because they wanted their own glory. I'll show you in the text. 
Take a look at 4 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. He's still talking to priests here in verse number 7. He says, the more they, the priests, increase, think increased in influence, think increased in, in um, renown, their name is getting out, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory, their glory into church. What does the Bible say? Shame. It is such a slippery slope that is very tempting for all pastors who see God working in their midst. It is very easy to begin to say, it's not God, baby, it's me. And I'm something. And I'm somebody. And I'm pretty amazing. So I've been listening to this podcast. I'm a little behind. You guys have probably already heard it, but I'm, I'm just now, it took me a while to just get myself ready to listen to it. But the rise and fall of Marcel. And it's a story of Mark Driscoll and his rise to fame and then his the, the failing of the church. And I've been asked by several people, well, would you recommend me listening to it? And I was like, well, I'll tell you later because I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, it's been instruct- instructional to me in, in some massive ways, in some unintended ways. I've been like, wow, I need to grow and change and repent of some things. Uh, but um, I'm really praying for repentance, forgiveness, and restoration from leaders who fall. Can I say that? I really want to see repentance and restoration for leaders who have fallen. Uh, so I'm praying for that still. Uh, but um, it just illustrates how easy it is to see God doing incredible things and then to fall into wanting it to be about my own glory. And we have to be careful, church, about that arrogance. A good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a pride thing and we have to watch it carefully. All right, idolatry, idolatry. Is that you? A couple of things to consider. What do you go to besides God to find your comfort, your security, your pleasure, your significance? Where do you go to? Where do you go? And then what does that tell you about what you really believe God is, who he is? Do you know him? Because I don't want you to go down that road, church. I don't want you to go down that road because here's the last part of the sentence. Because it will end in despair. Heinous sins, here's the big idea in its full. Heinous sins come from heart desires that lead to idolatry and end in despair. Um, It's what happens to sin. Listen to me. Idols never deliver what they promise. They never do. Seriously, think about it. Your job... Is it really going to give you the significance that you want and long for in your heart? This, this deep need for approval? You're going to find that in your job? Well, it goes okay until you get a new boss or you get fired. Then all of a sudden, you feel worse about everything. Your job is a rotten place to find that. Your bank account, that's, that's great until something tragic happens and all of a sudden it's gone. That's a terrible place. Wine? Are you kidding me? This will kill you. And that's what the Bible promises will happen to all sin. James 1, 13 through 15 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now watch this. It goes right along with all we've been talking about this morning. The Bible just meshes together. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what church is? Own desire. Now watch, when then when desire 
when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, read it with me, brings forth death. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. It'll kill marriages. Idolatry will. It'll kill parenting. It'll kill churches. It'll kill your soul. Unless you turn. Unless you come back to the Lord. Having looked a lot at this, I want to show you one more thing in the text. And this is um, kind of hard to look at, but I, but I want you to see this. Take a look at verse number nine, two nine, two nine, two nine, if you would please. How can you be so sure it's an okay place for you? To turn back to God. Well, look, look at what he says will, will result the, in the despairing end of her sin. Verse number nine, therefore I will take back my grain when it, in its time, my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. I will now uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall rescue her out of my hand. And none shall rescue her out of my hand. That's harsh. Those are harsh words. The text is full of them, like beasts coming and ripping apart. And you think, man, is God going to do that? Now listen, he already has. Because Jesus was stripped naked and hung on a cross in your place. Jesus was ripped apart in your place. He's already poured his wrath out on his son. And all you have to do, if today you're sitting here saying, man, I'm, I have wicked heart desires that lead me into idolatry and I don't want to end in despair, it doesn't have to. Because all you need to do is confess, ask Jesus to forgive you, and because he's already experienced the wrath and the punishment, you can be forgiven in him. And so I think the right way to end this, the right thing to do, is to just take a moment and consider our own sin. And there's no better way to do that than to celebrate communion together. So here's what we're going to do. I want the elders to come right now. And guys, why don't you just go ahead and hand out right away the elements, if you would. Just grab these elements and hand them out. If we get a couple of elders to help me with that. And just stay seated where you are today, and they're going to pass these out to you. Now, listen, as they pass these out to you, what I want you to do is when you have the elements in your hand, uh, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to pray. And as you pray, what I want you to do is I want you to, con- to confess. When I ask the question and I say, hey, um, what do you go to besides God to find your comfort, pleasure, security, significance? You need to confess that to God. God, I don't trust you, so I go to this. And because I don't trust you, I don't love you. And because I don't love you, then I swear and I lie and I murder and I... And just have a moment of confession before the Lord. 
you just take a moment right now and do that? Just silently pray to yourself and have a time of confession. After you've had that moment of confession to the Lord, I want you then to turn your heart and your mind to the cross of Jesus Christ. This really happened. He really endured the cross. He really was beaten. His flesh was really torn, torn to shreds. His blood was really shed. They really drove nails into his hands and into his feet, and they really hung him up naked for the world to see. And it should have been us. It should have been me. But he went in my place. And because he did... When I come and I confess my sin and I ask him to forgive me, my repentance is met with abundant grace. Would you just take a moment where you are and in your heart thank God for the gift of Jesus. Father, what words can we say? How can we even begin to attempt to put, to verbalize, even in our own hearts and minds, the impact of the cross? Father, the joy of the cross is made so much more glorious only when we've dug deep into the wound of our own sin and exposed the deepest part of us and stopped downplaying and excusing and making light of our sin, but really see it for what it is. But Father, when we do, it is amazing that you would die for us, but you did. And I am forgiven because of Christ. And from the depth of my heart, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.
would you grab the bread portion, if you would, please? And let's worship him together. Body broken and blood shed. Let's worship him with the cup. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being a God in whom we find all that we need and we are never left disappointed with you. And I pray, Father, you would help us to pursue you deeper and bring us back to be reminded of your great love for us. And we'll worship you with our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Redemption, you are loved.